0: This is NFL.com's Coach's Show Podcast.
1: Forty men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's talking them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam.
0: Brian Bellick and Steve Mariucci here for the Coach's Show podcast. This week, we break down the Saints' bounce-back win over the Panthers and the Niners-Seahawks' NFC West battle. Then we take a look at which NFL teams are most prepared for cold weather games and the difference between playing at home and on the road. Plus, what does the future hold for RG3, Mike Shanahan, and the Redskins? We debate all this and more on the Coach's Show podcast, reviewing Week 14, and the NFL starts now. Well, Steve, we've got to start with the, the really the two biggest games on the dock, and we keep talking about teams' ability. Can they go on the road and win against a playoff-caliber team? And and they really couldn't. Carolina against the uh, the Saints, and uh, the Seattle Seahawks couldn't get it done on the road against the 49ers.
1: Well, you're talking about a couple of teams, Saints and Seahawks, who are really good at home. Talk about home field advantage up with the 12th man in Seattle and in the Superdome. They just don't lose in those places, and, and uh, when they travel, they're a different team. It just goes to show how much uh, the crowd noise and the elements uh, play in, in uh, football. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden you see the Saints having to bounce back from really a beatdown up in Seattle. Brian, in a, not only just a short week Monday night game, but then their plane doesn't work sort of like your plane didn't work coming out of Green Bay. They had to spend the night in, in Seattle before they flew home. So they had a real short week, but they got it together and they really played well in the Superdome in front of that home crowd. And really, it was no contest with the Carolina Panthers.
0: Yeah, the key was, I think, with when, when the New Orleans Saints jumped up, you know, we both know Carolina's not built to keep up in a track meet. And when Drew Brees got it going, that's not the kind of game they wanted to play. Compare that to Seattle, you know, it turned into a slugfest in Seattle that Seattle just kind of blew out the 49ers, and now in San Francisco. That was a big win for San Francisco because had they not played well uh, going forward, the mindset for the 49ers, but I think they showed at home in particular, yeah, we can go toe for toe with you. We can be as physical as you are, and that was obviously big for them. And once again, as we talk about as good as the Seattle Seahawks may be, and they may go to the Super Bowl because everything is going to go through Seattle. I haven't seen that signature on-the-road win by them to say that they're truly that dominant team. You mentioned uh, mindset, and that was key because Seattle
1: has beaten down the Niners, what, 71-16 to 16 or something in the last two games, but they were up there, and Colin Kaepernick had not beaten the Seattle Seahawks at all. It was Alex Smith who beat them last year uh, at home, and so... I think it was a it was a good win, mentally and with for confidence' sake for the Niners to kick that field goal right at the end and salvage a win. The teams are built very similarly uh, with good defenses, good run game. In fact, uh, Frank Gore, the inconvenient truth, really won that game at the end with pop that 51-yard run, uh, and that was that was going to be uh, the deciding factor. But the mental part of that win, where hey. This team, we are on the same kind of uh, plateau here, and anybody can win on any given day because if the Seahawks would have won again and made it three in a row against Colin Kaepernick, he would probably have some doubts about if they stack up against the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, Carolina, we saw, could go on the road and beat San Francisco. I did that game. I think Carolina could go into Seattle and have a very similar tough, hard-fought game, and if they can keep it close, Cam Newton would show up. Uh, but for New Orleans, obviously, getting that big lead, the question is, can they go on the road? Can they go into San Francisco? Can they go into Seattle? Not that they're going to have to be on that road because they're beginning to look like that second seed. Uh, but, but still, can they get jump up like that? We know that if it's a slugfest close, New Orleans is going to have a tough time with Seattle. But can Seattle, if indeed New Orleans could go up there, and like they did against Carolina – Maybe jump up. Maybe they just get a couple big plays or a turnover or something where they jump up by a couple scores. That would be interesting to see if indeed Seattle could keep up then with New Orleans, even if it's at home. Well, Brian, let's not forget, though, Seattle has to go first on the
1: road to Carolina. And so this thing could knot up real tight because the Saints now, you know, they haven't, like you mentioned, they haven't been playing as well on the road. Not many teams do. But Carolina's very good at home, and uh, they are still very much in the thick of it in that division race in the AFC South. So before the Saints start traveling around to Seattle and anywhere else or 49ers or wherever, they've got to go into Carolina, and I think Carolina's going to be waiting for them for an ambush because uh, Riverboat Ron is is doing a heck of a job over there, and uh, if they keep this thing close early, I think it's going to be going right down to which quarterback has the ball last.
0: Well, you brought it up about the ability to go on the road. I probably, and I'm sure you're the same way, but as I'm traveling around to do my games, probably the number one question I get asked when we get into this conversation is, why is it hard to win on the road? I mean, it's not like in the old days you had to go on a three- or four-week road stand and you're in the train, you're away from home. I mean, you fly in on a Saturday. Uh, you play the game. I mean, in this day and age, you're really only gone from home for less than 24 hours. You're flying in these jumbo jets. you got all the comforts in the world, staying in luxurious hotels. Why is, and I, I, I agree 100%, I think winning on the road in the NFL is the hardest thing to do in all professional team sports. Why Why is it so hard? Well,
1: speaking from experience, and, and this is one uh, one area that uh, on the West Coast, and right now, by the way, the AFC West and the NFC West are really the best divisions, right? Okay, That hasn't happened in a while. And when you travel from the West Coast all the way to the Eastern time zone, it's a bugger now, Brian, you because typically what we would do is we would practice on Friday and meet or whatever, and then we would catch a plane, go home and get your – close, and we'll meet you on the plane. Fly to New Orleans or Carolina or Atlanta or Baltimore, wherever it would be, and then get there and sleep Friday night, wake up in the morning, try to get on that Eastern time clock, and then practice and eat meals accordingly, and then uh, be a little bit more ready for those 1 o'clock kickoffs on the East Coast, which is a 10 o'clock kickoff on the West Coast, my body clock at 10 in the morning. And you know you get up and have a pregame meal four hours before that, Right. And so you're getting up at five, eating at six. And and that's kind of early to go be at peak performance for West Coast teams. That's one of the reasons uh, You that 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 doesn't include all the games. But from West to East, it's very difficult.
0: Yeah. And then you factor in, obviously, particularly now, like last weekend, I was I was in your old stopping ground in Green Bay. And I got to tell you, man, it was cold. It was close to (laughs) my weather has something to do with it, huh? Oh, my gosh. And, and I was thinking the poor era, you know, Atlanta Falcons. You know, they're a dome oh, team. They're coming out of team. the south. But you know what? They held up pretty good, and it yeah. struck me watching the Green Bay Packers. Because that is an advantage for you, you you coached up there for a number of years, and you had to love it when it was cold, and these southern teams came in. Atlanta stayed with them blow for blow. Is that Was that an emotional letdown for you when you saw a team wasn't going to be affected by the cold when you thought they would? Most teams were
1: really affected by the cold, Brian. I'm not kidding. And you know this, they have to go maybe buy some parkas or put find longer cleats, or they they don't have all that stuff like in Lambeau and in, in the in the training room. They've got all that stuff ready. I mean, you use it a lot, right? And so it's so different. It's so different for these uh, warm weather teams or dome teams to go. How about go ask Matthew Stafford if playing in the cold and the snow was a little different than Ford Field? And so. Uh, You know, you just and it's not that anybody Brett Favre didn't like necessarily playing in the cold. All right. You got to be out of your mind. All right. But he was a little better at it than the other quarterback because he played in it two, three, four times a year, practiced in it. Some we weren't crazy enough to practice every day outside. We went inside so we could have a good practice. Um, But you live in it and you're you're a little bit more accustomed to dealing with it. I think uh, if you are in Chicago or or a Baltimore or a Pittsburgh or Green Bay. So uh, other teams, yeah, you know when you go out for warm-ups, Brian, if they're all bundled up, they got hoods on, they got the mask on under their helmets and everything, and they're just trying to, where's my heater? Where's that heated up bench that we ordered up? And you know if they're thinking about that before the game, when our guys are no sleeves at all and we're just ignoring old man winter, it's the game's over before it starts if the other
0: team is concerned about the cold. You know, it was interesting, Matt Flynn said, and, and this is a guy that went to school at LSU, so obviously playing in mm-hmm. the cold. And I asked him, how, how is it different playing up there? He says, look, you don't, you don't get used to the cold. You just get used to being cold. And I think there's some value in that, <laughs> yeah. in that and not just in practice, but just walking around every day and going to the market <laughs> and going to the cleaners. I mean, you deal with it. You watch those fans, 78,000 fans. Those people are nuts, Steve. They're they just love flat nuts they, love the way it. they and, dry, yeah. I mean, they go in, and we, we saw we did our, our, our they open. They probably were tailgating the, for three hours in that stuff before the game, well, too, right? We went out to do our open in the tailgaters, and that was did a you? frozen tundra man showed up. You know, the guy with the icicles coming off his beard? That, yeah. that dude, Friend I said, mine. well, it's great that they let you out of the home once a week to come out <laughs> to, to do the Packers game because it was something else. But But Atlanta did, they, the, the cold and didn't affect them, and it really came down to being a pretty good game. And, and obviously the snow games that you're referring to, uh, I, I think obviously, and I think it's very germane because we're talking about a, uh, the Super Bowl being in New York. And yeah, that's so we be could awesome. very well get one of those types of games uh, when it comes to playing the Super Bowl, and that would, that would be like no Super Bowl we've ever seen before. Oh, I can't wait. I hope it snows. It'll be
1: awesome for 176 countries around the world watching this. What is going on? But let me tell you a story. When I was coaching in Green Bay for four years with Favre and those guys, because we, have, you know, every year you have a couple of these kind of games. And, and Brian, they got coils underneath that turf, right? You know yep. that. Sure didn't look like it was working yesterday. I don't know. It looked kind of like a frozen tundra to me. But way back in the Vince Lombardi days, he put these coils, I don't know, six inches down underneath to try to keep it like an electric blanket. I don't know if that works or not. Maybe it's just a placebo. I'm not sure. But here's what we used to do. At halftime, I would get Favre and Dittmer and Brunell and our guys at quarterbacks. And instead of just going in the locker room and trying to warm up, we would go in the sauna, okay? And we would, It was nice and warm, we would put the water, steam and everything. And it would be like for 12 minutes. Oh, this is so awesome. I can't even tell you. So that's how how we get out of there. We would have our quarterback meeting. Listen, here's what we're going to do. Put some more water. That's awesome. And so and then, you know, come on, we got two minutes to go. They wanted to stay in there, right? So by the time we were done, you'd be sweating. You'd be like hot. All the ice would be melted and you'd be sweating, which is really bad to go back out in that cold, man. But it was about 10 seconds of bliss. Just to have 10 minutes—I mean, to go in the sauna and warm up—but then you got to go back out of the field, all sweated up, and water would freeze on you. You'd have these icicles all over your body, but it was worth it. I'm telling you.
0: This is uh, this is going to shock you—the coldest game I've ever been in, and mm-hmm. obviously nine years in Minnesota, and we'd go to Green Bay every year, and and when Baltimore, and we'd go up in New York, and the Meadowlands played in a couple <clears> playoff games. The, this is going to shock you—the coldest I've ever been as a coach was at the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, the what? very first Holiday Bowl, BYU versus um, a Navy, and I was a, I was an assistant coach or actually a graduate assistant. Because I come out it's San Diego. I come out in short sleeves. Well, the fog comes in. And you oh. know when that fog, and it's damp, I darn near froze to death. It was the coldest because it was that bone-chilling, damp <laughs> cold oh, that just pierced. I know, I sound like a real... The co- here. You, do you know what you just said? You just said I the know. coldest I've, game I've ever been San in Diego. in my 30
1: years of coaching was San Diego. You
0: How about that? Child. You know what I'm talking about, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being at the, oh. uh, the old candlestick for a Giants game. You've never been that cold okay. in the summer, okay. right?
1: I know. It's cold. All right. I know See, it's yeah, cold. So I'm not
0: so far up. Well, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. A lot going on uh, We uh, in, since we did our last Coach's Show podcast. It has started. Our first coach has been fired. Gabe Kubiak's been let go by the Houston Texans. And there's a lot of noise. I, I live in, obviously, the D.C., Baltimore area. A lot of noise going on around with the Washington Redskins who just got embarrassed by Kansas City at home. Only two teams were able to win on the road this weekend, talking about how tough it is to win on the road. Miami against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Kansas City just laid a big one on the Washington Redskins. There's a lot of noise going on around Mike Shanahan, RG3, Daniel Snyder. Let's talk a little bit about between now and the end of the season, and there's going to be, regrettably, four, five, six guys, seven guys uh, that, that are let go in totality. Let's talk a little bit about that process, these last few games. For coaches that know they're on that bubble, and for Mike Shanahan, this cannot be a comfortable time.
1: Yeah, and and, and uh, if you have coached long enough, you go through those tough times, and and or uh, you're on the hot seat, and there's controversy. And I feel bad for Mike and the and the Redskins. And geez, they, people left the stadium at halftime. They were shown an empty, virtually an empty stadium. Uh, then they'd show Lambeau Field and it was just as cold in Lambeau, if not colder, and everybody's still there. And then, and it, the, it looks like the fans quit on Washington and the teams didn't play hard or well. And and now there's the you know the perceived uh, bumping heads with RG three and Mike and ownership. And I, I feel bad for Mike. He's had so much success in this league for so long, and now this team is just not very good. Three out of ten, nothing seems to be right, and so. Uh, He's got some decisions to make in terms of going forward with RG3 and the health that he's in. And he doesn't seem to be healthy. We all hoped that he would become that healthy RG3 like last year. Well, it hasn't happened. And remember, Mike, when they were three and six last year, said, hey, we're now in our evaluation process, which uh, kind of turned them around a little bit. But they're in an evaluation process to see who's going to be playing
0: hard and well enough to keep on this team for next year. Well, let's listen to what Mike Shanahan had to say about RG3 and how they were going to go forward. Uh, I think that's the most important thing going into the offseason, that he has his first full season uh, being healthy. And if he did play and something did happen to him, uh, I think it would send our franchise back. So I'll think about it here over the next uh, four, eight hours. We'll make a decision on Wednesday. Yeah, and I understand what Coach Hannan's saying, but Mooch, boy, if, if he, for whatever the reason, whatever they put out there, look, we, we want him to be totally healthy to go. It sounds like he's saying we want him to be totally healthy going into the off season, so that he can have the kind of offseason we need to start next season with. Uh, that That's going to be a hard one to sell. I, I, I'm going to be yeah. very interested to see how RG3 responds well, to that. Yeah. That sounds a little like coach speak to me. Well,
1: keep in mind, Brian, they're out of the playoff chase at three and 10, right? They've got nothing to gain except, you know, getting some layers of experience for, for RG3 and some guys. But my God, he's getting hit so much. And and he hasn't had an off season yet. As a rookie, you don't come in till late, right? There are some restrictions as to when you can show up and how many days of practice you get. Last year, he had nothing. So, Mike was right. He never really had a full off season to get ready for a season, uh, healthy. And so, I mean, do you do you look at Kirk Cousins and say, all right, let's develop our backup quarterback and give him some snaps, and let's get RG3 healthy um, because there's really nothing to play for other than pride, other than RG3. You know how these guys are. They want to show their toughness and say, I'm the leader of this team, and I'm going to go down swinging, and we're going to finish the season the best way we can. That's their mindset. And you appreciate that. But I think Mike's responsible for his long-term health, too. And he doesn't seem to be protecting himself. or They're not able to protect him like some other quarterbacks are protected right now.
0: Yeah, but you could also look at that from you know Matt Ryan. Do you want really to expose Matt Ryan to a team that's been in there? Their offensive line has really struggled. They're rolling guys through there. Uh, ben Roethlisberger <clears throat> and the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there, proven quarterbacks. You could kind of make the same case. We're going to have the question now. Green Bay now is right there on the cusp, cusp, notwithstanding what happens with Chicago and Dallas. With Detroit losing, as odd as it sounds, they're they're sitting right there, just a half game back of first place. So they are in the middle of it. Uh, yeah. But I asked Mike uh, uh, McCarthy in our production meeting, what you know, if if you were to lose, and no coach wants to talk about that, but if if you were to be eliminated from the playoffs, would you think about pulling? Uh, Aaron Rodgers at that point, just in terms of the health and, and not exposing him to it. And he said, uh, you know what, honestly, and I take Mike at his word, he says, we haven't discussed it. We were, you know, we're out to beat the, the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, and they did. And we'll see if, indeed, Aaron Rodgers can come back. Aaron looked good, by the way. <clears throat> That's a hard part. He's throwing the ball well. Mike sees that, but until that bone calcifies, little well, this is all the doctor's decision on Aaron Rodgers. Be interesting to see if he comes back and plays this week. Yeah. Let me go back to the point about RG3, Brian. And the only difference that
1: I see, because, yeah, some teams like Atlanta or Pittsburgh might be out of their chase. Well, Pittsburgh's not quite yet. They have healthy quarterbacks for the most part. They're healthy and and there's no reason to sit them down. RG3 has had two knee surgeries and two concussions. And I just hold my breath every time that guy gets hit. Anyway, so let's go back to Green Bay. I did a thing on uh, game day morning Sunday and and, and we were talking about Aaron Rodgers. Should he play or, or, or should they wait to see if they win or lose? Well, when I went to Detroit, our first draft pick was named Charles Rodgers. No relation to Aaron. He was the second pick in the draft. He was a wide receiver out of Michigan State, remember? And after five games, he broke his collarbone. And so this is my collarbone experience. I'm just telling you. And, and so he got hurt in practice in the bye week. So he sat out the rest of the year because it simply wasn't healed enough to play the very next year in the first game at Chicago. This is almost 11 months after he heard it. The first time he goes down for a catch and we showed it. We showed the replay and he hit, he hit the ground here, popped his collarbone again and shattered it and broke it. And he was out for the year again. And that's after almost 11 months of rehab. Now, I think Charles Rogers' broken collarbone was more severe than Aaron. But that sticks in my mind about rushing a collarbone, a broken collarbone back. Because when you know this, when a guy gets sacked and he hits the ground with a 300-pound body, boom, that collarbone's got no shot. And so I hope to God that collarbone is healed the next time, I mean really healed and calcified uh, the next time Aaron steps on that field.
0: Well, I, we always like to finish off with uh, the coach show podcast with the fact you know you get you see you're in studio you get to see all these games. What jumped out at you about Week 14 in the NFL?
1: Well, you know I've I've, I've said before a million times that old man winner plays defense, especially in the passing game. But there were more touchdowns scored on this weekend than any other weekend ever. Now it's crazy, you know, the Baltimore Ravens that game there were five touchdowns in the last two minutes, and there were a lot of kick and punt returns for touchdowns. You can't, you know, when you're trying to tackle in, in space, you just can't get their footing to, to, to break down and make a play. And, and guys like LaShawn McCoy just run wild. Uh, so it, it was fun to watch all these snow games. It was a lot of fun watching the Lions and uh, the Eagles. Brian, I know you had cold in Green Bay, but that was so snowy. You could hardly see the players. It was awesome. And I, I couldn't help but think of, we might get a Super Bowl just like that. Would that be awesome?
0: Oh, it would. It would. Just the changes. the And the fact that what's jumping out at me, again, is the, the separation between the complete teams, meaning great defense, run the ball, solid quarterback play. We're talking about Seattle, talking about San Francisco, talking about Carolina. You have that on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have these teams with the dynamic quarterback play. Peyton Manning in Denver, Tom Brady in New England, uh, Drew Brees in C, uh, uh, New Orleans. So There's, there's contract. Normally, it's, you know, tie goes to the quarterback, whoever has the best quarterback. But the way the league is going right now, and just like you're talking about, the weather's factoring in. We're going to play possibly a weather game in the Super Bowl. It's, it's a little bit different handicapping the games right now. This becomes more and more apparent to me that we have some philosophical differences that are coming head to head. Kind of exciting to see. Can't wait. Yeah. And you know, weather
1: is the great equalizer. Anybody can win when it's crazy weather.
0: That's going to do it for the Coacher Show podcast. Thanks for downloading, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. We'll be back next week.